Hi, I'm Ken. And I'm Dee. And this is Antiques Freaks. It's a podcast. It's a podcast. What antiques are we talking about this week? Well, I wanted to talk about possibly the most delightfully named antique you could encounter in your life. The Tussie Mussy. <laughs> the Tussie Mussy. The Tussie Mussy. Now, what does Tussie Mussy mean to you? So a tussie mussy is sometimes also referred to as a nosegay holder or a posy holder. It holds a bunch of flowers? It holds a bunch of flowers. It is a typically ladies accessory made in silver or other metal resembling a wee little tiny vase. Now, supposedly, although there is so much argument about this, this dates back to the use of posies which are small, little, tiny, handheld bouquets of flowers and herbs, which were to be carried around in medieval times to deal with the plague, popularly. So the legend goes. So the legend goes. Given that it was a habit afforded mostly to the upper class, it was probably more likely just to deal with the fact that everything stank real bad. Oh, come on. I take a bath once a week whether I need it or not. And all of your toilet goes right out the front window. Yeah. Yeah. Things didn't smell great in some of the larger cities. That's also true now, (laughs) to be completely fair. That is true. And, you know, maybe that's an argument to bring back the Tussie Mussy. So while that is extremely likely, and I suppose there's some carryover with the fact that it was very widespread type of belief that of uh, miasma theory or the idea that disease spread through bad smell, which was right, but not for the reason they thought it was. They were so close. (laughs) But its direct link to the plague is hotly debated, and in my opinion, probably untrue given the extreme lack of documentation. What we do know for a fact is that by the 19th century, this practice was reinvigorated as a sort of fashion accessory. And also to the fact that, well, cities didn't smell a lot better. No! So that's kind of nice. (laughs) No, they wicked didn't. And you know what? I would argue we still have not solved the core issue. No, at this point we have not. Now, the Tassimasi was typically around three to six inches long and in a trumpet shape. Stems of the flower naturally fit down into the narrow end with blossoms filling the open end, held in place by a large, sturdy pin, sometimes attached by a chain. Generally an ice-creamed cone-type shape, narrow at the bottom, open at the top. And one of the purposes of this was that the handle could collect stems wrapped in moist moss around the base, which would keep you from getting wet flour all over your dress if you were raw-dogging them with your hands. I see. Which, given the propensity for fashionable ladies to wear gloves, would have been pretty disastrous. As their popularity increased, they became more and more unique in their functioning. So they were sometimes attached to a ring that could be worn on the finger to either hold the tuzzy-mussy upright or to keep it chained to the wrist to allow for dancing. Others actually had spring-loaded little tripod legs so that you could boink, deploy them and set them down, either again to be distracted by a coquettish dance or just for display when you got home. Others still were flat out just brooches, and I would argue that's probably the version of this people are most familiar with, although they would come relatively later, in the late 1890s. The rarest and most lascivious of the Tussie Mussy had to be the bosom bottle. 
Do you want to take a wild guess how that worked? Now, did this entail sticking a bunch of flowers between your tits? It's still a little tiny vase, but it's a flat vase to be stuck between your tits. Incredible. I couldn't find a lot of information on these, aside from the fact that they are reasonably rare. They are the least encountered version of the Tussie Mussie. Because they got lost down there. (laughs) They would just fall the fuck out, I imagine, if you didn't have, like, a real pair of knockers. Or if you did, you'd never find them again. (laughs) I'm curious if that it was at the time as salacious as it would be now. Given how salacious a busk is, I cannot imagine a bosom tussy mussy would be any less so. It's very drawing attention to the area, so I it seems like that was maybe for the partying type gals more than uh, the fine ladies. Now, um, one more guess as to who exactly set off the wild trend, such as we began seeing them moving down from the upper class to the middle class and in a variety of shapes, designs, and technological advancements. Who do you think started that? The Victorians? The Victorians? Who more? Who specifically? Victoria. That's right. That bitch did everything. Oh, no. You know, it starts as a joke and then it becomes this meta joke the more I look into something and find out that it was only popular because of Queen Victoria. She's a very convenient scapegoat. She really is. Probably because of, if okay, uh, this is speculation at this point. I think because of her romantic personality, her well-known love affair with her cousin husband, her husband as it was. You say love affair as though they weren't legally married. <laughs> they were, well, legally she married. She was extremely the- legally married in the eyes of God and everyone to her cousin husband. Let's be fair. But that doesn't mean, to the royalty, there doesn't necessarily mean they're in love. And boy, was Victoria and Albert wildly in love with each other. (laughs) Wildly in boink with each other, they were. Those crazy kids really went at it. And I think that romantic halo that ended up glowing behind her, after glowing, if you will, was one of the many driving factors. Especially because part of their popularity came with putting the flowers in your tussie mussy that were from a young man who might be courting you. <laughs> it is very popular to see people claiming that a tussie mussy is part of Victorian flower language. If you roll on back to our episodes about Victorian flower language, you'll know that that's uh, a lot more myth than truth. It's a lot more conflicting. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> The Victorians themselves couldn't agree on A, whether or not they had a flower language, or B, what any of it meant. Which to me suggests that it was probably not too dissimilar to your friend that reads your tarot cards, but you don't know enough about it to know if they're like bullshitting you. But like, you know, they believe it. Although no matter what spread comes up, it leads to extremely pointed comments about your ex, so you have your doubts. Yeah, it's it to me, if I, I had to imagine, I think that's probably the situation to have left history so ambiguous. <laughs> but one thing it did pretty reliably communicate was that a boy liked you. And maybe you could tell that boy that you liked him too by wearing his flowers, which is a refreshingly normal and common sense approach to deciphering the past. <laughs> but yeah, I just wanted to please don't. The flower language is not codified and universally understood. Yet. Yet. We can still make it happen. Now, while the ice cream cone type shape is the most natural shape for a vase. Natural's a strong word. <laughs> You can also find them in carvings, beautiful floral spreads, pierced like a lace doily, in the shape of more flowers, which I always thought was pretty funny, or just something weird. I saw a dog. You could have one like a dog. A very long, skinny, conical dog. Good news about the kinds of dogs that were popular. (laughs) 
quibits, you say? It's not just a club drug anymore. It never was a club drug. It's no, the alley I... behind the stop and shop drug. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Who the fuck is doing whippets on the dance floor? I, well, all right. You and I went to very different clubs. <laughs> I guess, yeah. <laughs> it occurs to me that it doesn't fit the profile of a club drug and that at this stage in my life, it'd be quite sad to see it. Some of them had little thin sheets of ivory. You could pencil in the names of gentlemen who would like to dance with you. Aw, what a deep disrespect wherever animal that came from. But yeah, there's a lot of variations on the dance card type tussie mussy and the flirting mirror type tussie mussy, which could either be used to check your complexion or see who's behind you. Is it a cute boy? Ooh, probably not. It's probably not. Probably that weird guy. It's probably Spring Hill Jack. Look out. There he goes. Spring? He snatched your flowers. And your fiancé. Again? (laughs) Again. Now, many of them were made of gold, silver, ivory, and silver plate, and adorned with precious metals, pearls, shell, and even miniature paintings. Although, as time went on and their popularity spread to the lower classes, you could see them being made out of a mixture of metals, ceramics, glass, all types of things that were perhaps more affordable than gold and silver. Bunch of crap. Bunch of crap, as so delicately put it. <laughs> what if that's how... Tussie Mussies were made out of a lot of shit. <laughs> Tussie Mussies were made out of any old garbage at a certain point in history. <laughs> and while they're certainly associated with Victorian England, they were also seen in the courts of Versailles, Imperial Russia, and 19th century China. Now, you might be asking, who the fuck Tussie Mussie... Who made those words happen? I'm going to miserably tell you, well, that's the English for you, before I expound. (laughs) Now, supposedly, this is one guess, Tussie is a nosegay, which is the small bundle of flowers itself, and a mussy refers to the moss that was moistened and wrapped around the stems of the flowers to keep them fresh, hence the name Tussie Mussy. However, a slightly more reputable source told me there's no etymology for Tussie Mussy, the best guess would be 17th century Middle English tusimos, which roughly meant cluster of flowers, although it's very murky. So it's a huge mystery, neener neener, if you thought you were going to get a straight answer. <laughs> Most scholars agree that the moss nosegay combination is ridiculous and probably just exists because it's kind of cute. Now, the Tussie Mussie itself refers strictly to the object said to house a bouquet. However, a nosegay or a posy refers specifically to the flowers that are put inside, in case you were getting confused. Now, Tussie Mussies fell out of fashion around the Roaring Twenties as slowly horticultural fashion began to trend towards long-stemmed flowers, loosely tied with ribbon and perched in larger glass vases. Now I'm just imagining someone with the titty Tussie Mussie trying to do it with, like, long-stemmed roses (laughs) and just getting, like, poked in the eye with flowers. I mean, I guess that's, like, one of the dresses of the 1920s were probably better for putting long stemmed roses in your tits. We've often debated what ended the corset, and I think it was the trend for long-stemmed flowers (laughs) making it impractical to tuck into your tits. Now, when they were completely out of fashion by the Roaring Twenties, they were popularly regarded as trivial and useless, according to the Smithsonian, which I think is a bold statement coming from the people of the Roaring Twenties, because what the fuck do you have to say about those little tiny hats? What do you have against a cloche, Dee? I don't have anything against it. I think it's 
a very stone in a glass house to be calling any other little tiny fashion accessory trivial and useless. Wow. Maybe that's because I love posies, I love nosegays, I love tussie mussy. Bring it back. But them's my thoughts on the matter. Yeah, I think you might not be a strictly unbiased source in this regard. <laughs> Maybe not. Now, I bet you want one. Not particularly. Because low tide around here can be pretty stank, so uh, maybe you want you a tuzzy mussy. Oh, you know what? You've you've got me on board, actually. You've changed my (laughs) mind. Now, gentlemen, too, could wear the tuzzy mussy. Once they had assumed the sort of brooch form, it was considered quite gallant. I was gonna say, I'm gonna have to do a lot more fucking push-ups before I have the tits to support a tuzzy mussy. No, see, you will not need bulging pecs. You could just pin it on your shirt. (laughs) So, Okay. So, if you're interested, be forewarned that while they can be found under $100, they are more likely to hover around $200 and up, with the price getting higher and higher for rarer materials and more fancy designs. The good news is, there's a lot of them. The worst news is, there's a lot of repros too, because of the marriage industry. You mean the wedding industrial complex? The wedding industrial complex, they are funneling our kids to wear white dresses. (laughs) They're funneling our kids into heteronormativity. Someone stop them. Then it's disgusting. <laughs> Homo or no go, I say. Homo or go home. <laughs> but yeah, weddings have made the idea of a nosegay, people who want perhaps a smaller, less intense, more rustic, or more vintagey looking wedding, can opt for tussie mussies and nosegays in place of large traditional bouquets. However, this demand, of course, created a market, which led to repros. But today I have the rare bit of good news for you. They are relatively easy to identify. But how? Well, in an article specifically on repros and fakes, every single example, and that was no small number, was cast in one piece. So the trumpet, the handle, were all a continuous piece of metal formed in a one mold. Pretty much any original would have been assembled from a number of separate pieces, at the very least two pieces. So you can check for any kind of solder joints. Solder good. Solder very good here. This can be kind of tricky because a finely crafted piece will have the solder hidden on the inside, sanded on the back, buffed out. But if you know what to look for, a keen eye can spot it. The first is looking inside the trumpet. Even if the trumpet is a solid piece as opposed to wire filigree, there should be a seam running down the length at some point, usually in the back, with fine beads of solder around the entire length. If the trumpet is mesh or filigree, even better, the wire should be soldered at several points to the top of the rim, which should be a solid piece. The single-piece tussie mussies, almost to a man, have no seams at all except for a shallow mold seam, which will be a, like they said, shallow single line that hasn't had very much work done to buff it out at all. One of the go-tos for anything that will be reproduced by casting is, of course, the rough surface and the lack of detail, irregular outlines, messed up patterns, and pitting in low-quality metal, which is good. I think that's good. I looked at a couple myself. The soldering is actually quite apparent, even if it's, like, well-disguised. And it's always a relief to find that it'll be easier. Now, do you want to make a tussie mussy to put in your tussie mussy? Do I want to make a bunch of flowers to put into my tiny wearable vase? Yes. For argument's sake, sure. It's as easy as getting small flowers and scented herbs, trimming them to a more or less uniform length, and tying them neatly and firmly with a ribbon or a string. 
For more pizzazz, you can repeat this with larger flowers, creating a more full, tiny bouquet. I'm getting a very draw a circle, now draw the rest of the fucking owl vibe. I mean, it's literally just cut them to about the same height, (laughs) tie them together, and then do that again until it's the fullness you would like. And they say the art of flower arranging is dead. Well, like, I don't fucking know what flowers you like. (laughs) What? Uh, Do uh, miniature mums and campanula. And Lemon Verbena. There, I did it. Damn. You got me. I got you. Dead to rights. (laughs) And if you want it to be even more authentic and pretend perhaps that you're walking through a plague-ridden town, you can actually drop some essential oils or any kind of thick, rich perfume you might have. And then put it in your tussie mussy. That sounded like a curse. Put it in your tits. Shove it in your tits. Get some lemon verbena, shove it in your tits. Here at Antiques Freaks, we encourage you to shove it in your tits. And it doesn't matter what that is. (laughs) (laughs) Put it in your mouth, shove it in your tits. Those are our two golden rules. And that is it for our quick trip into the stankin' world of the Tussie Mussy. Sources for today include acsilver.co.uk, a posies place, antiquetrader.com, Tussie Mussies and collectible posy holders, collectorsweekly.com, Tussie Mussies, Recollections.biz, Fussy Tussy Mussy, the Victorian Bouquet Holder, TheGardenersCut.com, of Posies, Nosegays, and Tussy Mussies, RealOrRepro.com, New Tussy Mussies, and Tussy Mussies, A Collector's Guide to Victorian Posy Holders by Irene Deach. If you would like to suggest an episode topic or just say hello, you can email us directly at AntiquesFreaksPodcast at gmail.com. You can post our Facebook group, AntiquesFreaksFriends. You can tag us on Tumblr, AntiquesFreaks.tumblr.com. Or you can check out our Instagram at Instagram.com slash AntiquesFreaks. If you were highly offended that we told you to stuff it in your tits, uh, feel free to scroll on down to wherever you're listening to this podcast and leave us a review. Extremely lewd. I don't know what a tussy mussy is, but I'm too afraid to Google it. And if you would like like to check out a wide variety of vintage goods consider our etsy at etsy.com slash shop slash antiques freaks or if you need more antiques freaks in your week hit up our patreon at patreon.com slash antiques freaks where every week we read and review a chapter of the victorian penny dreadful varney the vampire the feast of blood special shout out to our patrons for paying our hosting fees and filling our hearts with love so much love and thank you in particular for listening that's right you au revoir goodbye